Today, we are starting a new series looking at the seven letters to the church in Revelation. Uh, But before we go any further, I'll pray, we'll read the passage, and then uh, we'll see what God has to say through his word uh, to us this morning. So let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the way in which you have revealed yourself to us in so many ways, not least through your word that has been written down from generation to generation, from century to century, and which we can read today and not just see it as a historical document, but see it as the living and breathing word of God. And so, Lord, this morning, as we come to uh, look at uh, this uh, and spend this time looking at your word together, we pray that you would continue to speak, that you would be moving amongst us, And that as we gather here, we would continue to know your presence and and your love being revealed in our lives, we pray. Amen. Okay, well, we're going to start today with uh, the first letter to the church in uh, Revelation, which is the letter to the church in Ephesus. And if you've got your Bibles and want to turn with me, you can find that in Revelation chapter 2. And we're going to start at verse 1 and go down to verse 7. If you don't have your Bibles, but you'd like to read along with me anyway, um, then you're in luck because the words will be on the screen um, as we read together as well. Uh, So this is the letter to the church in Ephesus. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you can't tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears... Let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. I don't know about you, but sometimes when you look at passages like that, you go, crikey, where are we going to go with that this morning? But we're going to get there, and uh, I hope that this morning will be a blessing to you. As I've said, we're started this new series looking at the seven letters to the churches in Revelation. And Revelation is one of those books that I think can sometimes strike fear into people's hearts. There are some people who will hear all this complex imagery and go, oh my word, how am I meant to understand that? What are you on about, Matt? And that passage that we just read was one of the tamer ones. Later on, you've got swords coming out of mouths and all sorts. Um, and what, how would we as church, what does that mean for us today as Christians? Other people like to really overly, well, not overly spiritualize, but really spiritualize it and say, Revelation, it's all about the end of the world. Look, I read this in my Bible and the world is going to end tomorrow. And we very much easily focus on the end times 
of this book, of which it is a part. This is a prophetic letter. But this book ultimately started out as a revelation of Jesus to a guy called John sat on an island in Patmos. And this letter was a letter that was to be shared with the churches. As I say, it was written by the Apostle John, and it was written about 60 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. So at this point, to put it in context, the church had spread. Jesus was on the move, but the church was also facing intense persecution, real times of challenge and difficulty. So the Apostle John saw this revelation of Jesus and then wrote, as, as God revealed this, this prophecy to him, he wrote seven letters to seven churches to encourage them, to disciple them, to encourage them to continue to live for Jesus in the midst of the really difficult circumstances in which they were living. So if you look back at Revelation chapter 1 with me to set this in a bit of context, you see that John starts this letter by saying, yes, this is a prophetic, visionary uh, revelation of Jesus that, uh, that we see in this book. Um, it's a prophetic letter, but in verse 3, we're told that it has practical, real-world application for us today too. John says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart what is written in it. This isn't just something for us to be mindful of in the future. This is something that we can really wrestle with and grapple with and feed our souls with today as well. Whilst I was on sabbatical, I listened to a sermon series that was based on this uh, section of Revelation. And as I did so, uh, my heart was stirred that these messages were not just messages for the church 2,000 years ago, but they're also messages just for the church today too. And as I listened to, my, to these messages whilst I was away from you all, I kept thinking, I wish I could share this message with Arbor Road Baptist Church too, because this is a message we all need to hear. And so that's what we're going to do. Over the next seven weeks, we're going to look at these seven letters to the churches in Revelation 2 and then chapter 3. And we're going to look again that we might hear afresh the messages contained within them. So, the church in Ephesus. What do we know about the church in Ephesus. Well, we know at this time uh, when the letter was written, Ephesus was a major and influential city. It was on a popular and well-used trade route. Lots of people were passing through um, the city of Ephesus. And it was as this letter was written that the church in Ephesus was really starting to boom and grow and uh, to, be, to grow in influence. To many, if you looked at the church in Ephesus, you'd have sat there and said, good church, that one in Ephesus. Do you know what? The church in Ephesus was so good that even, some people think, Mary, the mother of Jesus, went to the church in Ephesus. Now, I don't know. If you've got Jesus' mum coming along to church on Sunday and hearing you preach, I think you're doing an all right job as a church. So I, I would say Ephesus was doing a good job. But as we'll hear in a few moments... Um, that wasn't the whole story. As John writes what he sees in his vision, um, 
Jesus' first message to this church in Ephesus starts off as one of encouragement. And we see this pattern throughout most of the letters to the churches in Revelation. First of all, Jesus speaks and he encourages and commends the churches for things that they are doing or for the life of their church family. But then having offered encouragement, he then addresses the issues and points out his concerns and where they're for the church to improve. So let's start off with what the church in Ephesus was doing well. If you've got your Bibles and you want to look at verses 2 and 3 with me, you'll see that uh, Jesus had a lot of good stuff to say to the church in Ephesus. He tells them that he knows what they have done. He sees their hard work. He sees how they are faithful, how they can't tolerate wicked people, how they have perceived and how they persevered and endured, how they have not grown weary. This is all good stuff that the church is being commended for. The church in Ephesus was a place of life, a place of vigor, a place of energy. The church in Ephesus was actively taking a stand. They were persisting even when times got tough and they were trying to live their lives for Jesus. Not only is the church full of energy and good deeds, but they are also commended for their good doctrine, for what's known as orthodoxy, for staying true to the course of what Jesus taught them to do and believe. They've remained distinctive in the face of outside pressures, saying you should believe this, you should believe that. They've said, no, this is what we believe. We are sticking to it. They stood firmly against wickedness, the wickedness that surrounded them, that they might remain, remain faithful to Jesus and how he had taught them to live his life, their lives. When I look at this passage, I see some truth that we can hold on to as a church here today as well. We are a church that has a heart for action. We don't just meet up on a Sunday and then go off for the rest of the week before returning the following week, but we long to put our faith into action, to serve the community around us. We run Wonderfully Made, we run Lunch Break, we run Art Kids, we serve and love those around us. Even when times are tough, even when we feel like we don't have all the resources, even when there's pressure surrounding us, we continue to persevere. We endure and we do what we can do to live our lives for Jesus in this place where God has called us to serve him. Sometimes I don't know about you, but it's just nice to know you're appreciated. Many of the people who serve so faithfully in our church don't do it because they want a lot of praise. But sometimes it's just nice to know that you are seen, that you're acknowledged, that what the efforts you're putting in are, are being seen and recognized. And that's what we see in this passage. Jesus said to his church, first off, I see you. I see what you're doing. I see how you're serving me. For Ian and the team who are going to be giving up their Friday nights to serve our children and our young people as our kids starts up after half term, Jesus says, I see it. For the wonderfully made team, for the lunch break team, for all the other teams, for all those who actively serve in our church in any capacity, not just in our groups and activities, but in all that happens here. 
Jesus says, I see that you're the effort you're putting in for me. To the countless people behind the scenes who make everything happen and in our church and give us um, and help us in our mission to love and serve this part of the world. We want to say this morning, we appreciate you. But even more than our appreciation, even more powerful, even more important, is the commendation of Jesus. Those who are serving us, those of us who are sacrificing our time, those of us who are plugged in trying to serve Jesus in this place, please know that not only are you appreciated, but Jesus sees what you're doing. And as Jesus sees what he's doing, he commends you for the way in which you give of yourself and the way that you are putting your faith into action. But as Jesus encourages the church, as he says, you're doing a great job, in verse 4, he changes focus slightly. And he says this, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Some of us here uh, this morning might have been fortunate enough to find love, uh, to find someone we love. I remember when I started going out with Rachel, uh, it was all new, it was exciting. Uh, I thought Rachel was the best thing since sliced bread. She thought he'll do. Uh, and it's been the state of our marriage ever since. But the, the thir- that first season of first love was full of passion and exuberance. But over time, love changes. It evolves. It matures. One of the things that we do um, with people who are wanting to get married in our church is we prepare them for marriage. And as we prepare them for marriage, we do a whole session on keeping love alive. Because you don't just get married, or you don't just date, and then get married, and then just never date again. But this is a relationship that you need to maintain. You need to keep your love alive. Pray for Rachel this week. This week, there's date night coming up in the Roe household. She's going to be treated, um, and it's not just because it's Valentine's Day. So uh, pray for her. Uh, She's got to spend a whole evening with me on her own. But that's an aside. For some of us, though... Uh, today, we might look back at that first time when we met Jesus in similar way. We might look back and go, do you know what? It was great. When I first met Jesus, my life was defined by Jesus. I really felt him close to me all the time. I was full of energy and passion. But somehow that's changed. That love seems somewhat more distant now. Life has changed. But do we still love Jesus like we loved him at first? I've been a Christian now for over 20 years. I know there are some of you here that that's just a short amount of time. uh, And you're looking at me going, oh, you young whippersnapper. But I still remember that joy and passion that I had for Jesus all those years ago. And over those last 20 years, that love has changed. It's matured. It's developed. But I've still had to work at trying to maintain that same first love that I had 20 years ago. The message to the church in Ephesus is clear. We can't lose our first love for Jesus. So we have to consider how can we keep that love for Jesus alive? 
And the good news is that it's really quite simple. We maintain our first love for Jesus as we recognize and remember that God first loved us. We love him because he loved us. Listen to these words from 1 John. We love because he first loved us. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. We love because God first loved us. If you lose your love for God, you lose your love for people. You can't be the most active church in the world. You can't have all this life and energy going on. You can't do all the projects in the world. You can give all the time that you want. But without love, you're missing the mark. What was Jesus' greatest commandment that he gave to his disciples? To love one another as I have loved you. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. In 1 Corinthians 13, we hear one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture on love. And Paul tells us that we can speak in tongues and do all this great stuff. But if we do not have love, we're just a loud noise, a clanging cymbal. We can have faith that moves mountains, but without love, I am nothing. The church can have all the energy in the world. We can have the best doctrine, the best preachers, the best theological thinkers, but without love, we're nothing. Our band... Uh, will know that I am far from musical. But if I'm going to show Daniel up here now, if I'm doing, I can see, be speaking the best sermon, but without love, you might not hear a word that I'm saying because I'm just a clanging gong. That woke some of you up, didn't it? Good morning. Welcome to church. Um, good to see you. Glad you're here. Harbour Road Baptist Church in case you fell asleep. Um, I, can, I can do the best acts. I can go out and make you all a cup of coffee but it's just nothing. It's just a clanging cymbal. I can take Rachel on a date night and without love, it's just a clanging cymbal. I'll put that down before Daniel tells me off for breaking the drum set later. Without love, we're missing the mark. We're just a clanging cymbal. So how do we maintain our love? We maintain our love by remembering that God first loved us. But no matter how far we go in life, no matter how busy life might get, we also need to remember and hold on to the truth that God loved us. And that is our story. That is our testimony. We just spent the last month remembering together our story of how Jesus changed our lives. If we are to continue to maintain our love, we need to make sure that we never get too far away from that story, from our testimony. We need to remember the way that Jesus first loved us. Not that we loved Jesus and then he loved us back, but he first loved me. Each one of us here today is loved by Jesus. Even if you don't think you love Jesus, Jesus loves you. It's just you've not realized it yet. 
When we encounter his love, when we allow his love into our hearts, that love floods into our hearts, into our souls, and his love consumes us, that we might then go and show that same love to those around us as his love flows from us. You can love because Jesus first loved you. You are righteous because Jesus first made you righteous. Without him, you'd just be a mess like the rest of us. But in his grace, in his mercy, and through his love, Jesus changed your life. When we remember where we were, when we remember what Jesus has done for us, how far he has brought us, our love can never grow cold. To maintain our love, we need to remember the love that Jesus has for us. As well as remembering, uh, John, oh, Jesus continues to encourage the church in verse 5 to remember and then to repent. He says this, consider how far you have fallen, repent and do things as you did them at first. If you are concerned that your first love for Jesus is waning and fading, then the question is, will you take corrective action? The word repent means a turnaround, a change of mind, making a new choice to do something different. Could it be this morning if you, that you need to repent? Could it be this morning that you need to make a new choice. This is something that happens to all of us as we follow Jesus throughout our lives. None of us are perfect. Each one of us will make decisions that might well have been with the best of intentions, but we now recognize have contributed towards that first love that we had for Jesus, fading over time. The job and the career that took over our lives and pushed Jesus out to the margins. The relationship or the friendship that, if we're really honest with ourselves, isn't helping us to follow Jesus more closely, but instead is leading us astray. The grudge that we've chosen to hold onto instead of letting go and forgiving. The decisions that we've decided we want to make, rather than following the decisions that we know God wants us to make. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you all know far too well some of the competing forces that we can face in our lives as we live our lives for Jesus that can distract us from him. The problem is, not only do they distract us, but they also lead to us losing our first love. And without love, we are nothing. If we do not repent and decide to make a new choice for Jesus, then we will lose our first love. Instead, we need to step back and do things as we did them at first. What new things might you need to step back from in order to do things as you did them at first? How might you return to your first love? 
If we are losing our first love, there is something we can do about it. We can take corrective action. We can reignite the fire. We can stop and we can remember Jesus and who he is and how he has revealed his love for us. We can repent and do things as we used to do them. The returning to the, that original way of living our lives for Jesus. But Jesus also gives the church in Ephesus a warning. And he issues us that same warning too. Jesus says to his, to his church that if you do not remember the love that I have for you, if you do not repent and turn back to me, then there will be consequences to come. And those consequences are that he will remove our lampstand from its place. You might go, what are you on about, Matt? What's a lampstand got to do with it? Well, this image of a lampstand is really significant. As the church of Jesus, we are the light of the world. The light of Jesus shines in us and through us. Jesus shines out to all around us. We are the lampstand of the light of Christ in us. Our light is the message of the church. It's the difference that we can make and the influence that we hold. It's the purpose that we exist. A church without its light is just a social club. A church without its light is just a bunch of do-gooders. A church without its light is powerless. If the church loses its love, the church loses its light. A church that ceases to shine for Jesus has, only lost its has not only lost its first love, but it's also lost its reason to exist. This is why we put Jesus at the center of all that we do as a church here. It's our first and core value. This is why we need to be a church that continues to fan the flame of the Spirit amongst us. We don't just want to be a church full of activity and good doctrine, although that's all good. Recently, I came across a quote that said, the devil doesn't have to make you bad if only he can make you busy. Maybe that's a situation, a word for the church in Ephesus here. The devil doesn't have to make you bad. He just needs to make you busy, to distract you, to pull you away. We don't want to be a church that is just defined by what we do. But we must be a church that is defined by why we do it. We want to be a church that is defined by love. Love that lights up. Love that transforms all that's around us. And so as we draw to a close this morning, let me lead us in this prayer. And may we make this our prayer as we recover, our as we reflect and draw back to our first love for Jesus this morning. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we again invite you into our lives and pray that you would fan the flame of your fire in my life that your light might shine in me. Jesus, we love you. We praise you that you first loved us. And today we remember that love and we repent. We return to our first love 
because we know that without love, we are nothing. So Jesus, today we turn back to you. We want to reignite our first love because we don't want to lose our light. Would your light shine brightly through each one of us and throughout your church, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.